So I thank the Soviets and the mighty Chinese vets, the allies the whole wide world around. To the battling British thanks, you can have 10 million Yanks if it takes them to tear the fascists down, down, down. If it takes them to tear the fascists down. But when I think of the ships and the men going down and the Russians fight on across the dawn, there's London in ruins and Paris in chains. Good people, what are we waiting on? Good people, what are we waiting on? So I thank the Soviets and the mighty Chinese vets, the allies the whole wide world around. To the battling British thanks, you can have 10 million yanks if it takes them to tear them. Hello comrades and welcome to season 3, episode 2 of Spectre. Today I'm joined by Colin Mack and Robert Parker. Uh, guys, would you like to introduce yourselves? Alright, Robert, go first if you want. <laughs> Hi, uh, my name is Robert Parker. I'm Secretary of Paisley and District Trade Union Council and also uh, Vice Chair of the PCS Arams Scotland Committee. Hi, I'm Colin Mack. I am uh, the chairperson of Paisley District Trades Council. I'm also on the uh, DOP Group Executive Committee for Public and Commercial Services Union. And I'm also a lay rep, plus obviously I'm also a regional organiser for Scotland. So I've got quite a lot of uh, titles on my um, PCS side of things. I'm also now also currently chair of the Erskine Community Council. Oh, good stuff. Thanks for that, guys. And yeah, for this kind of episode in general, I've been quite excited to do. Uh, I guess it's a, a year in the making, I guess you could say, uh, on the subject of Erskine and what we've seen from the past year uh, in terms of the demonstrations taking place. And, uh, you know, there might be some people out there, uh, especially some folk down south who listen in, you know, might have not heard of the demonstrations themselves. So it was just to see if one of you want to kind of lead off on the Erskine demonstrations, you know, how it started and you know, where we find ourselves now. I mean, I can take the kind of start on that one, I think, Nathan, because obviously, um, as an Erskine resident, I first became aware of, obviously, a situation kind of brewing uh, back in January of 2023. Actually, it's a funny thing, because I hadn't heard very much about this. Um, I was speaking to my mother, who is, um, you know, uh, a resident as well of Erskine, and she started talking about the hotel and it getting used by asylum seekers and I was like I hadn't heard about this and I thought well it didn't bother me at that point I thought that's fine people obviously have to go somewhere where they're waiting for their cases to be heard uh, the home office is doing a, a mini vet before they move people out I had, I had no kind of issues but um, my mum did mention there was obviously quite several people quite concerned about it in the local community and what happened from there was there was um, a bit of concern about what was going on and a group of people got together to start a campaign to say they weren't happy with the lack of consultation. I mean, Erskine had other issues as well. There's the issues with doctor subsidies at the moment with uh, lack of GPs, lack of consultancy, being able to do things. There's also issues with local amenities because they brought Erskine up as a commuter town. But there's a real kind of lack of a uh, major infrastructure. If anybody doesn't know it, um, basically it's like... Um, You've got a shopping centre in the centre of town near the Clyde, and then you've got a whole bunch of different kind of wee kind of semi-schemes all dotted about the town uh, to, to make the whole, some of them have wee shopping centres themselves, but a couple of shops together, and um, that, that's, the infrastructure isn't 
particularly great. There's a big high school and uh, there's several primary schools that feed into it, but there's not really great kind of infrastructure. So there was quite a legitimate concern about the fact that how that would impact the local economy, the local infrastructure, because it wasn't really designed for the long term. You know, we were struggling with the fact they just kept building houses without the infrastructure. Um, so that kind of initial idea to protest the fact that there was no consultation was then hijacked by a group who came in. They sold themselves as kind of seasoned campaigners, um, which was te technically right, but was the issue with that was it was actually patriotic alternative who were actually at first welcomed in by the initial group who didn't realise who they were. They then um, started to try and organise a demonstration themselves. And then you had the other one, which was the far-right anti-immigration, anti-asylum seeker, essentially racists coming out to basically protest. So that's kind of how it started. Um, we, uh, myself, Robert, and obviously we got in touch with you know, local organisations as well as obviously trade unions and the STUC to look about kind of campaigning against this because obviously we had real legitimate concerns about how this was going to go down. Um, the first uh, protest was quite interesting because quite a lot of people turned up, obviously, on both sides. Uh, they had the wee kind of even their mobile wee stage. I don't know if remembers that. The kind of platform they had set up, kind of Hitler platform to stand on and shout at them. Um, and as I said, that's that's kind of how it started. Um, there was quite a large protest on each side, and the hotel started to be abused by asylum seekers. And as that, as the time went on, obviously, um, they kept turning up. Um, and so we kept coming up to counter protest and to try and make people in the hotel feel that they're welcome. That because to be clear, the majority of people in Erskine, well, there were issues with the infrastructure. Most of them weren't necessarily anti-immigration or anti-asylum seeker or anything like that. It was just unfortunately there was a hardcore group of racists who got together who basically then seek to exploit the situation for their own political ends. Yeah, the the started to get. Um emails and other communications from people uh, kind of like the end of January saying that the well on social media there's the um, demonstrations being planned against the asylum seekers being housed in the hotel and I think I suppose let, let's be honest my, my stomach kind of sunk when I thought got to do something here uh, and with discussion with Colin and a few others uh, we then basically put out a call for comrades to come along and help us to, I can't say what we say we were protesting in this, the, the, the correct sense or my understanding of protest, we were more um there to defend the fact that asylum seekers do have rights and the narrative that was being put out about them was totally incorrect uh, and to show some balance that they were unwelcome uh, which would have happened had the uh, fascists been allowed to carry on uh, so on the 5th of February we had the first event I mean I, I still call them in my head vigils for 
refugees and asylum seekers rather than a protest? Or is the police kept calling as a counter-protest? I mean, arguably, it's not incorrect, but we were there in the support of the the, the asylum seekers. Uh, the I don't know, the first four, five, six Sundays uh, started about quarter past the 11 and kind of ended by three o'clock as though uh, to a time machine. The We've always said that we're there to protect the asylum seekers and we will be there until five minutes after the, the fascists go away and basically that's what happened. Uh, but certainly for the first few weeks it was... Uh, two large groups of people screaming and bawling at each other with the police standing in the middle. Uh, I was never quite sure where the police were standing on it. I think as it developed, the the attitude of police uh, became more apparent and there was three distinct types of policing. There was the fuck off you lot in your face stuff. There was I'm here to do a job stuff. And there was, well, we kind of support what you're doing, but I've still got a job to do, which you can understand. Um, and as it developed after these first couple of months, uh, you kind of think, where are we going here? How long is this going to last? And people started talking. And some of the, the loudest shouters to be honest, stopped turning up. Uh, so there, there was a kind of change in the people that were there. Um, not so many stand-up-to-racism folk, uh, quite a lot of other folk, and we got more and more locals coming along to join us as time went on. And we started having discussions about what do we do now, where do we go, and I think it just kind of slowly developed that the answer to keep going wasn't going to be to confront these people every week by shouting and screaming at them. And we developed the, the strategy of totally ignoring them, which certainly worked. I, there's an argument that says whether that's the right argument now after a year, but at the time... It was the right answer and it did work because what we found was that they just stood and screamed and bawled and they would shut up when they couldn't hear what we were saying uh, and it really pissed them off that we were standing with our backs to them. Although there was always one or two comrades that were watching them in case anything exciting or... Oh dangerous happened. I think that's basically how it started off, Nathan. Yeah, no, that's great, guys. Yeah, I think that's a really good account. And as you both kind of mentioned, you know, how, how the demos really kind of like changed, as you, you've mentioned, Robert, the, they started off as this kind of shouting match of continued aggression that certainly was in the, you know, early stages uh, in the weeks after that. But that big, important shift at the demos uh to kind of change it into, I guess, a more 
uh, friendly atmosphere on our side played both the part and the fascists getting annoyed, not really echoing their message out uh, via their, their megaphones as often. And most importantly, the actual asylum seekers in the hotel felt safe, comfortable and actually came down and socialised amongst us. I think that was the the turning point for the demonstrations on our side, them coming out and really talking to us, sharing with us their stories of uh, how they've ended up in Scotland. You know, some bizarre cases where they've been staying down in England and then randomly moved up here with no explanation or anything of the sorts. And, you know, the real harrowing stories of many of them fleeing the very wars and economic devastation uh, that Britain and America and other European criminals have caused uh, in their homelands. So I think that was that was really, really good uh, about the, the demonstrations changing that force. And uh, Colin, obviously you mentioned the the early stages of, I guess, the fascist organising from it, piggyback, uh, piggybacking on the kind of concerns of, of local residents, this lack of consultation. Uh, they were just left in the dark and I think it would be wrong to kind of ignore that isolation, the fact that they were never told what was happening in their own community. Uh, it led to this kind of atmosphere of suspicion and hostility right from the get-go. Uh, but as we saw, it was various fascist groups have tried to organise throughout the span of a whole year. And I think it's really a, a testament to the demonstrations and the people involved, how long we've been standing side by side with each other in solidarity. First, as you mentioned, Colin, you know, it was patriotic alternative, uh, the kind of the love child of of in Mark Collett, who attempted to to organize uh, just said they had their platforms, other speakers, they they made a big show of bussing folk up from England and everything to make a big song and dance for their socials. Uh, after internal splits within their own organisation, PA essentially left. Then the Homeland Party was born uh, from Kenny Smith and Simon Crane and other fascists. And again, uh, they eventually were removed from Maersk and even by the, the kind of local racists and fascists that currently remain to this day. Uh, meanwhile, you know, Paisley TUC and uh, other, other folk on our side of the demonstrations have continued to adapt and, and grow. And it's a real testament to the to the work, and I think that's you know something really important that we're going to th- discuss on later. I guess the, the especially when we look at communities like Elgin and that, uh, as we see. But no, I thought it was an absolutely fantastic account from from day one to now. And you know, as it stands, the time we're recording this, this is a uh, later on in a Sunday. Uh, it used to be a, a a good number of weeks ago, or even months. Sometimes you'd be kind of even later than two o'clock, close close to eight, trying to wait them out. Uh, making sure that they're not going to pull any stunts against the hotel and the asylum seekers. But obviously, from today, we've again done our done our same demonstrations and folk coming from the hotel. Many of them now uh, being integrated into the community across Paisley, Glasgow, and, and other places as well. Uh, the contract for the the hotel is due to run out in March. By the time uh, the asylum seekers will have been fully moved out. We know that the fascists will try claim a victory from this, but in the end, we know that they've truly are the ones who have failed. These asylum seekers weren't sent sent back in boats. They weren't deported to Rwanda. They weren't sent anywhere else. Instead, they were welcomed into the community and they've actually made friends and contacts from our side of the demonstration and beyond in the wider kind of trade union movement and uh, refugee support movement as well. So I think that's a, a real key part to to take away from this. There's a couple of sea changes, as you say. One of the 
I think it was because we stopped the confrontational screaming and shouting. Uh, the residents of the hotel started to come out. And let's be honest, the mayor's representative would come out and usher them back in. Right, right at the beginning, the mayor's representative in Erskine would come out and basically threaten them to get them back into the hotel. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the sea change when the less shouting and screaming uh, allowed that to happen. Well, that, that's really got to be said that if the screaming matches had carried on, uh, most of us wouldn't have wanted to get, go out and find out what was going on. And let's be fair as well, the Homeland Party, I'm trying to remember if it was there. Well, in fact, Patriotic Alternative might still have been around. And what do they call themselves? The Highland Division? They had a fight amongst themselves in Erskine. Uh, I don't know if it's that actually put a white bulb on in somebody's head because, you know, why do we want all these fascists fighting each other in our town and they're not actually addressing the the issue that's going on? But I think the change that we had and how we uh, dealt with it, I don't think we could have kept up a screaming match for a year. I, I don't think the people would be, I think, Lots of people disappeared over the, the, the period. Uh, I think it might have been worse had we been trying to still scream and shout at them. Um, the STUC arranged and helped arrange, however you want to put it, uh, a massive demonstration in support of them on the 21st of May. I think that's the only occasion that the fascists didn't turn up at all. Uh, when I say didn't turn up, uh, two of them appeared, saw the hundreds of people that we had there and didn't hang around. So can't totally say they didn't appear, but to all intents and purposes, they didn't because they didn't hang around and do anything. Uh, and from then on, we tended just to turn up, put up banners, whatever, hang around, uh, provided food, drink, uh, and comradeship, I suppose, um, both to all of us that turned up and to the hotel residents. And from that developed uh, a more social aspect of things where people started organising activities. Uh, I think the 21st of May maybe was the catalyst for that, the, the few activities that were done that day uh, again people said well maybe we should keep these things going so Paisley Trade Union Council can't really take any credit for that apart from the fact we would be the catalyst that started it all but I think Nathan you agree that through the summer there was lots of activities went on um, for a long while, the, the favourite one was the Morning Star Challenge Football Cup, which uh, I don't know what ever happened to that trophy, but, you know, there was some hell of a good players amongst these refugees, <laughs> which did lead us to try and make moves for that. 
uh, but none of the clubs were biting. I think the problem there was the 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 refugees' status and the fact that they couldn't actually well make use of them within their teams. Uh, I think was the problem there. Before the twenty first of May, obviously we did have a public meeting with the residents of Erskine, which was um, we because there'd been that kickoff in Knowsley down in uh, down in England. Um, there was a massive police presence that day. That was back in March. That was, that was before we actually went to the STC and got the motion through for the, the big DMA, which is what changed things. But that was the first kind of thing we tried to engage. With locals, we brought the politicians in to explain their side. That include Gavin Yields and Natalie Dawn, and obviously uh, Sam Mullen was there as well. Um, we had obviously um, oh. from the Green Jess. He was there as well, and we had them out and we addressed the meeting. Um, whether we managed to change some minds or not, I don't know. I'll be honest with you. There was a couple of folks sitting down the front who still turned up for the last wee bit, although they've been more absent recently, but they were quite hardcore racists and it was quite obvious that's what they were. Uh, we did our best, but it was, it was quite a fraught meeting. It wasn't helped by the fact that the police limited the bit of numbers that could get into it and were turning people away. Um, it was all over Facebook as well, and it was that was kind of the first kind of main engagement. We tried to see if we could try and change some hearts and minds and try and engage. I'd like to say it was massively successful. I'm, I'm not so sure it was, to be fair. But we did, we did come out, we did have people come out, including the politicians, try to do their bit. And after that point, that was when, yeah, we did start building for the, you know, to get a motion to STC to do a large demonstration in May, which is what Robert was talking about there. Uh, which is, I agree, that was a kind of turning point because it was kind of, let's have an event, let's have these people come out and join us. Let's play football, do sports, do kind of, you know, interactive activities. And that, that kind of um, carried on until probably kind of recently, but that's because it's really kind of stopped because yeah, the weather changed, obviously, over winter. And it was, you know, the ground wasn't exactly there exactly great for it. It's not, it's not a football pitch at the hotel, it's just a random patch of, of grass that's there. And as I said, so it's not necessarily maintained to play on. And then after that, as I said, obviously, with the announcement of the hotel now uh, being uh, no longer having asylum seekers in it, and I thought you are right, Nathan, you know, they, they keep claiming that's a victory, and I keep thinking to myself, well, if, if your status of victory is that more people are getting assessed, the home must have more staff, they're processing applications quicker. These people are getting housed so they can come part of their communities, get involved, get paying taxes. Well, if the fascists think that that's a victory, well, can we have more victories then? Because as far as I'm concerned, the most staff processing these claims are better they're getting dealt with, getting housed, getting it working, that's actually more beneficial for us than anything else. So fair enough. I'm quite happy with that. Yeah, no, absolutely spot on. Uh, all the week and a little bits in between the, the, the demos and everything or the events, as, as you you label them, Robert, you know, they were really, uh, it was never just a case of a stagnant Sunday. It was lots of different things happening in the community uh, and these kind of motions passed uh, and, and trade union circles was, was really, really important. And we'll, we'll come on to talk about kind of the importance on that. But as we kind of mentioned, you know, it wasn't just, you know, locals, uh, spearheading the charge on this right from the get-go it was fascists fascist organizations and as Colin you mentioned you know they were fighting amongst themselves as well we've seen that kind of rise in in Scotland as you mentioned as well Colin down in no- uh, Nosley and Liverpool those were terrifying scenes uh, attempting to actually kill asylum seekers and anti-fascist protesters 
uh, you know, I think that was a real fear up here that, you know, it's something that could escalate. Uh, so it was just, you know, covering that point, you know, we're seeing a rise of, of fascism both across Scotland uh, and in England as well. Uh, what do we think this will, will, you know, mean for communities in Scotland, taking it from your guys' perspectives as, you know, trade unionists and part of a, a local trade union council? I think we've got to be careful with that because obviously it is concerning what's happening. And again, economic times uh, that are bad do lead to rise in extreme movements and extreme kind of blame games rather than actually looking at the politicians who cause the situation. People rather blame people who aren't responsible. I go back, um, my, my grand, this is years ago, my granddad McPherson, he's, he's now dead, he fought in World War II. And um, I remember my, my brother had a conversation. He was just starting high school. We're starting the second world war, and he said to my granddad, "Well, that that can never happen here." And my granddad sat there and says, "No, son, no, that's not how it works. You know, you've got to be careful. Just because it, it you don't think it will happen doesn't mean it won't." And that was my concern when this started. When we got the Patriot Alternative, the, the danger they would pose to communities around about the country. And thankfully, as I said, they kind of actually became a bit of a wet squib, although I would still be worried about the remnants in England because they seem to have more in England than they do up in Scotland. Um, but that gave birth to the Homeland Party, which has now registered itself as a political organisation. And they're trying to display themselves as we're the nice face of fascism. You know, no, we're, we're, not, we're not terribly bad people. We're into, you know, environmentalism, we're into obviously supporting local communities, making sure, and it's kind of trying for them, these people who, let's be fair here, you've got your Kenny Smith, your Simon Keynes, people know who they are, BMP, National Front, Patriot Alternative, now Homeland, these people are quite frankly vicious people who are, you know, willing to try and peddle hateful politics, they celebrate what Hitler did, they're quite happy to do that and celebrate that and advise people to buy Minecraft off their websites and things like that where we don't actually um, offer solutions to any kind of the problems. I mean, blaming asylum seekers doesn't help the fact that you can't get doctors at Bagar and Erskine because there's no doctors available. That's got nothing to do with that. They don't have solutions, but sadly what they've been able to do is they've built themselves a political party and I think they used Erskine to kind of do that. Homeland realised they'd got as far as they could get in Erskine, they couldn't build any further and they've now tried to broaden their net out to try and build elsewhere in the country because they, they kind of had a plateau with the dozen or so racists they managed, hardcore racists they managed to find in Erskine, we whittled them down to and now they're thinking, well, there's no, we can't get any further building here, let's go build elsewhere. It was the local racist or fascist that did tell us that they told Homeland to go away. To be fair, though, there was two, maybe three weeks where it was obviously just locals that were there. But then we got um, Captain Toast um, McFarlane uh, turning up who they, they were continued to say to is that, you know, in the odd occasions we had dialogue that he just turns up, we don't invite him well, I'm sorry, but if you don't like somebody at your party, you tell them to leave. And he quite often has stuff on um, YouTube, Facebook, that says that I'm patriotic alternative, so you can't go there. And we've always said that we can't stop until they've gone away. I'm not really sure whether, well, with the change in situation, if there's no refugees in the hotel, I'm not sure whether that then follows through. But until that happens, we will be there 
next Sunday and the following Sunday and the following Sunday. Back about where Colin was going earlier about locals and the meetings, whatever. Um, originally, Colin and I would walk down from his house to the hotel and we would meet, I don't know, half a dozen locals, not necessarily the same locals every week. And nine out of ten of the folk we met were supportive of what we were doing, although we were never able to convince them to turn up and join us. Uh, occasionally we would come across somebody who was in favour of what the, the fascists were saying, but generally most of the folk we've met uh, on that, um, to be fair, what changed was when we started realising that we've got tables to carry, we've got a gazebo to carry, and, and we really don't want to be carrying that for half a mile along the road. So we ended up having to take the car down to the hotel. Just logistically, we no longer could kind of bump into as many locals uh, as we had. But I don't think that the numbers changed. Uh, when you look at it, something like 0.001% of locals have turned up to complain about refugees being in their town. So, I, I, the, okay, there's obviously going to be more that are not prepared to stand up and be counted, but it just shows how small a percentage of the population that is. And I would say as well, we discussing the homeland thing, I did listen to one of the horrible podcasts that they do where they were talking to Erskine and the residents say they drove them off uh, but they were claiming, no, 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 we've just decided not to come back. We've decided, we've decided we, we, we're not needed. We can come back at any point. Uh, we've not seen them at all since then. So I don't know what's happened, whether that's true or what's happened there, whether one side's telling the truth, one side's not. There's no way really to know, and I'm not particularly that interested to dig into it. Um, what I would say as well is that, as Robert's right, I mean, they tried all these kind of scare tactics at the tart about, you know, what, fighting men, the hotel, all that kind of nonsense to, to rile up and scare the local community. When you look at it, I mean, there's been, what, an, two alleged incidents they claim. One I know was just complete and utter horse crap because they were talking about people watching a kid's play park at a bench that faces a pub. It was nonsense. And the other one was something that happened on a bus. But again, there was no convictions. The police said there was no evidence to carry out anything. So they just went misinformation to try and rail up and then they talk to most of the folk in Erskine and what they say is well most of these people were fine there was no issues everyone got on fine and there wasn't a bother so um, that's something we, we take from as well if, if they tried to build up as if these people were dangerous as if they would kidnap your granny and break into your house and all kinds of misinformation was spread about them at first and it's all turned out to be just completely utter them nonsense, there's been no convictions for them and I mean the very worst um, that I've had reported has been basically there's been litter left outside in the hotel grounds in the car park and that was because to be frank Mufa hadn't emptied the bloody bins in the car park and the bins in the car park were full Yeah, spot on, as you've you know rightly put it right from the start there, calling you know, fascism is just capitalism and decay and that's when we can uh, see it uh, edging its head out, especially now in Britain, following on from 
you know, the, the so-called cost of living crisis, as we know it to be the cost of capitalism. Now, uh, with the hysteria whipped up against asylum seekers and refugees, we're seeing fascist organisations and individuals more confident now than ever uh, to really get out there and, and, and launch these kind of demonstrations. You know, down in England, Wales, we're seeing a, a rise of fascism again in Ireland as well uh, and here in Scotland. As well as the demonstrations obviously taking place in, in Erskine, we, we saw that uh, a, a kind of fascist group tying in with a uh, Highland division, uh, which is just a laughable kind of wee fascist clique uh, up here in Scotland. They tried to, to demonstrate uh, in the city centre of Erskine and it was an absolutely massive uh, counter mobilisation to it and I think there must have been about five fascists and uh, hundreds of anti-fascists and trade unionists uh, to counter that and it made them look as pitiful uh, as what they truly are but as you say you know this this rise of fascism we see see them coming into these communities taking advantage of you know local people's fear their isolation especially in a in a community like Erskine when, when there's so many like kind of issues especially in regards to GPs doctors uh, even like public transport uh, as well and they seek to play on that and you know they haven't been shy in the past of the you know their accusations their calls you know these are these are people who shouting over over megaphones uh, absolutely horrendous kind of anti-Semitic slogans of so-called judo-bolshevism, uh, although uh, we're against the, the current way that the Home Office and the Tory party is, is running their asylum process. It somehow makes us red Tories, you know, these kind of baseless and utterly nonsensical ramblings that occur. Uh, and as you've pointed out, Colin, these accusations as well uh, in relation to people's uh, health and safety, their well-being, their security. Uh, it's the irony that comes uh, from the fascist organisations that have been stating that. You know, many of them have been in organisations where uh, numbers of their members have been arrested for terror offences, uh, Holocaust denial, you know, and in some cases, uh, you know, uh, child exploitation as well, sexual exploitation and continued allegations against these orgs. Uh, you know, it's it's utterly laughable. Uh, I guess every accusation's uh, an admittance of guilt from them. Uh, so I think it's been really strong the way the the way the accusation been dealt with. You know, it's been uh, really clearly emphasised in social media the fact that these are utterly baseless. Fascists have not been able to follow up in any of these. That's part of the reason why they kind of lost so much traction. I guess respect from from locals. Uh, there's only I guess from some of these groups, so much hysteria that you can whip up that's uh, believable before they begin to kind of see uh, the parachuting uh, that these organisations have tried to do uh, in Erskine. It could be that we see further demonstrations, uh, whether that be against asylum seekers or uh, now that we're, we're seeing fascist organisations gaining electoral status, uh, they might build up the confidence to be marching uh, through the streets of Glasgow, Edinburgh, Dundee, uh, really it's that that worry from many older comrades that I've spoke spoke to uh, a possible return to Mosley and the Black Shots or the BNP days you know as that that frightening aspect and uh, how we need to be ready uh, both in the trade union movement uh, and the anti-fascist you know scene as well to to be ready to counter these fascists in any way shape or form and I guess that kind of leads us off quite quite nicely onto the the next point, which is the importance of uh, trade union TUC solidarity. Robert, you obviously mentioned 
from the demonstrations that we had, uh, you know, some support from the, the STUC. We also uh, had motions passed at, you know, Congresses for, for support along with donations uh, of cash for, you know, food and everything uh, for the demonstrations. But it was just to see if we can get uh, you guys, your opinion on the, the real importance of uh, trade union uh, and obviously TUC solidarity uh, and a fight against fascism. So I'll change tack a bit slightly. The attempt in in Elgin is totally different. You're talking about a long established town. I mean, Colin kind of alluded earlier. Erskine is strange in the sense it doesn't particularly have a town centre. It does have a large, well, sorry, it's got two main supermarkets and around about a car park with a few other local shops. And by default, that kind of has become the town centre. Uh, yes, there's a swimming pool, there's a, a library, there's an art centre, etc. They're not necessarily all connected up. And when you ask some people where's the art centre, you get blank looks because they don't even know it's there. Um, Elgin was totally different because you have an established town centre. You've got uh, war memorials, you've got... Um, town crosses, the, the whole uh, kind of medieval, if you want, setup is sitting there. So it was totally different. I mean, Elgin was a, a, a big second attempt by fascism in Scotland, and they lost because they didn't get the numbers out to go to Elgin. The locals, with um, stand up to racism. Uh, and people in the north east going to help them did turn up. Um, but for me, the, the classic bit in Erskine was when, despite everything that was going on, uh, a local pharmacist, if I remember right, just got so wound up by them because I mean, they didn't even know what she did as a pharmacist. Uh, and she basically huckled Yaxley Lennon out the town. Now, there was no way that was going to happen in Erskine, either because of the area or, frankly, because of the distance between people and the line of police in the middle of it. Um, that's, that was, To me, that was the subtle difference between the two. And there has been attempts by them in various other areas within Scotland. And we, we must be vigilant, I suppose, as a word, to combat that as best we can. Um, I think it was down in the south of, down kind of Dumfries Way, that somebody, you know, we can only, I would, I would presume it was a racist, a fascist, uh, was phoning up the hotels, asking for details of who was in the, the hotel, and they were arguing who was what, but it didn't, you know, they didn't get any traction in that. But I've been told now I've jumped to the next subject, so I'll... 
Sorry, Robert, but you kind of did. Um... Off track a bit, didn't I? Yeah. Uh, right. Uh, I, I made a, I, I made a very short video that was played at the Black Workers Conference last year, and basically said that comrades joined together, and we just showed the strength and unity of the trade union movement and that it's greater when we work together. Despite any differences we have, we come together against a common enemy. It goes back to that old adage, you know, and it is the basic foundation of trade unionism as well. United together we stand, divided we fall. And that applies when you're uh, obviously fighting anything, that if you're united, you put a common front up, you stand together in solidarity, you stand together with other people with shared values and shared interests. You may not always agree, you may not always get on, but it was that coming together of obviously, you know, trades councils for sales, Clay Bank, it was obviously Unison, PCS, Unite, GNB, FBU, all these groups came together, the STUC came with us, Stand Up to Racism came with us as well, and we were able to build to actually, you know, basically fight and oppose. And that, I think, is important anywhere you do this kind of work because if you don't have that, then, you know, as I said, it makes it easier for people to get their um, horrible tentacles in and start splitting people up and start trying to put you against your neighbour, which is not what MD wants. Um, I, I think it shows that... In asking for example, now... I know Robert would say we've not had a complete victory, but if you look at what it was at the start, where well, you had literally, you know, hundreds of anti-fascists turning up, quite a lot of local Erskine residents turning up, and not sure if they're hoodwinked or understood who they were standing with. That's a debatable argument. But you look at it now, we've managed to whittle it down to, to, to basically three loony guys who look for who are part of Patriot, what's left of Patriot Alternative in Scotland, although they keep denying they're not and say they're Alba, but they, they just posted a video up showing the Patriot Alternative badge, so it's quite obvious who they are. And then you've now got, as I said, it's about a dozen racists in a town of 16,000 people. Now, I think, as I said, I wouldn't say it's a victory because they're still turning up. What it shows is what we've been able to do is we've helped protect people in the hotel from being abused or being attacked. We've showed them they're welcome and allowed them to come out and take part in activities. We've shown them that obviously that we're here to give support and not everyone is, is frankly horrible and wants to push them back into the sea, which would be frankly Sula Braven's policy if you got away with it. And what we've shown is that what we can do together and that is stand side by side and stand with each other to show that this is how we make things better in this country. This is how we make things better. And I agree. It's you might not get every, you might not win every fight, but if you don't stand together, if you don't work together, you will lose. But if you take the fight, you stand. You've got a much better chance. And I think that's what we kind of did. And asking, we built really good links with, obviously, as I said, with Jim at Stand Up to Racism, Alex at Stand Up Racism, Ewan, uh, Ross, who does. Um, who's a part of the Living Rent campaign and Tommy and everyone else and all that kind of thing, including local residents have got together and been able to actually make a difference. And as I said, it's been quite funny because I remember at the start they claimed there was no local residents that were on the our side. And I kept looking about going, it must be me, but I, I'm sure I've lived in Erskine all my days. So if I'm not a local, what does that make me? And I was looking at other people who were locals and they were shouting them because they knew they were local, but they kept making these bizarre claims as if they were trying to make it look as if these were outside organisations coming in, not realising that there were so many trade unionists that lived in Erskine who belonged to trade unions who wanted to support, who belonged to other organisations, 
who wanted to support. And I think that's been something that's been shown that we can do. When you work together, you can make a real difference. I think United Against Fascism was another group that was kind of there at the beginning and helping us along. Um, I, I, I've... I was looking at an annual report, a PCS Adams annual report. We've put a, a photograph that was taken in Erskine in it. And it was alarming, actually, how many of the, or how few of the people are still turning up every Sunday. Uh, I can date it to, you know, like July because I was wearing a baseball cap that day with, with PCS on it, and it's not really something I, I kind of wear, unlike yourself. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's not my favourite headgear, but I was wearing it that day, so it must have been a hot day that the beanie was taken off or whatever. Uh, and it, it's a, when you look at it, all these people that were there and... But having said that, we still do have a, uh, a, well, I don't know how many were there, 40, 50 people on our side there today, and the usual 15, 18 racists were there, albeit there's 300 flags that, and other weird banners that they put up. But yeah, have we got to the end of your agenda for you yet? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm not letting you get half that easy, Robert. Uh, the flags I find fascinating because it just is. It just it's just balmy. Was that because I think that was because we brought all this trade union flags out, and I don't know what goes in that guy's head. But it's just like, well, if they've got flags, we need flags. And they started claiming bizarre crap like the American flag came from Donald Trump, and I was just like, that made me laugh so much because I was like, if Trump sent MD a flag, he would send an invoice with it. And at this moment, it'd be an invoice for eight hundred and fifty-three million dollars. So yeah, it was just, it was just <laughs> random crud that he, he comes out with and you think, does Andy take him seriously? I mean, we actually wonder if the reason he doesn't use the PA logo all the time, doesn't say it, is because PA and frankly, Patriot Talent are frankly embarrassed by him. Oh, it's brilliant. And I guess, obviously going on, uh, Robert, you earlier kind of touched on Erskine and Kind of Elgin, so I'll pass it over to you for for this agenda point, Colin. You know, you kind of talked about uh, the differences uh, between Erskine uh, and Elgin, uh, but in terms of the the similarities uh, between them and the the fight against fascism, uh, and you know uh, why fascists have sought to uh, target these communities specifically, it was just to get your thoughts on that. Right, because obviously there's been a large influx of uh, asylum seekers being moved into accommodation, which have been hotels, which have been brought about by obviously the Home Office's poor, at that point, decision-making and frankly lack of staffing. I mean, it's it's no surprise when the civil service was getting told uh, during the pandemic that they were going to cut, uh, what was it, that was a ridiculous figure, and the civil service itself at times, it was a ridiculous figure of jobs. Um, I can't remember the exact figure, but it was literally Boris Johnson went to a dartboard and threw it and went, aye, that's the the amount of cuts we're going to make, and it was nonsense as well, because obviously we just left Europe at that point in Brexit, and you're going, you've had to create a department now to negotiate trade deals, so how can you create a whole new department and then argue you require less staff? It was just um, bonkers, but that that was it, and these people coming in, obviously, as you said, we've got issues at the moment 
the economy is bad. With the, the, the Brexit, whether people agree with it or disagree with it for different reasons, it has had an economic impact on the UK. It's caused massive upheaval. It's caused. You then got the, the geopolitical situation with the war in Ukraine and Russia and everything else, and that again affects prices of wholesale gas. It affects something else, which creates again a greater clustering crisis. That gives obviously you know fascists are looking for things to blame, are looking for things to do it, and they, you say they work good when there's when there's really hard economic times because then you can say, well, it's not, it's not our fault. It's the cause. It's them. It's them over there. They've done this. They, they, we saw that at the start of World War II. They blamed everyone, all these different groupings of peoples, you know, the communists, the Jewish people, everyone else, for the problems that were simply caused by socioeconomic factors that were beyond pretty much most people's control because that was how capitalism worked. And I really uh, think that's what they've done. Is that that's what's similar here? Is you've got basically local towns, small. There's been a large influx of uh, people coming in who are asylum seekers, and um, the whole idea is this whole stranger danger. You don't know who they are. I mean, that, frankly, that's I, I always find that a bit of nonsense because I mean, I I can name the neighbours either side of my house, right? And I can name some of the people who are still in my street because I grew up with their kids, so I know certain houses. But there's houses up there I've got no idea who lives in them. Never had any communication. I never saw them because I'm an adult now. I go to work and, and and that's it. And so I don't know who any of these people are. So the whole stranger danger thing is just it's just used to try and basically it's a form of racism. Uh, it's because these people don't look like us, so they're clearly dangerous. And I laughed at that because that's the kind of the, the kind of impression you got at that meeting we did back in March with the, the residents because they all jumped up and said, "Well, see if there were Ukrainians, there were no problems. What the heck's the difference between a Ukrainian asylum seeker who were welcomed in, but in large numbers?" And an asylum seeker from Afghanistan, or that, oh well, I can tell you what the difference is. It's racism. They don't look like what they think a person should look like, and that's been the kind of whole motivation along. They've looked for ways to divide us. They've looked for ways to kind of infiltrate us, and that's where they're coming in because they want to get power. I mean, that's the end game of all this: is to get power so they can get their agenda out, so they can make whatever they think would make the world a better place or make the world a utopia. But they don't, you know. It's easy to blame other people for things that are going wrong, which when it's uh, harder to accept, but it's simply, um, I mean, I have this theory about conspiracy theorists and that. I do talk to some people that are conspiracy theorists, and they're quite frankly nuts. But it's probably easier to imagine that, well, somebody's in control of this, and these people are horrible in control of this, and it's, it's and they're in rooms talking together, smoke filled rooms to try and make these plans, rather than just admitting the truth, which is basically the world, you know, it's uh, thermodynamics, the world's chaotic, you know, chaos is what rules, and you, it's easy to think somebody's in control rather than that. Well, actually, nobody was in control. It just it is what happens, and I sometimes think that's kind of part of it. On differences between Elgin and Erskine, it, it is obviously Elgin. It was a city centre, right? And that that's the part of it. Where they were was a city centre. It's a city centre. There's a lot of people going by everything else. Anybody's ever seen where the motor hotel is in Erskine? It is right on the edge of Erskine, just before you get to the motorway. So it's not near the city centre. It's the only people you really get going by are people coming up and doing walk their dogs along the riverfront at the Clyde. And therefore, as I said, because it's been a more isolated location, it's been harder to... For, they're not getting the same level of pushback, I think, they would have got elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it'd been a city centre or somewhere like, you know... I mean, there's, there's other obviously migrant hotels in other towns in Scotland which are more located in the city centre, or even ones nearby I can think of. And they're not getting anywhere near this level of demonstration or pushback at all. In fact, they've been completely and utterly ignored instead of Erskine. And it goes back to these are city centres. And if they tried this, there's a lot of people who would probably be quite angry with them and it would be ended pretty quickly. And the police would move them on as well because they're actually quite near houses. 
in the residential areas. Whereas I said, the, the move to Hotel and Erskine is literally right next to Clyde. Um, you're talking about, what, about 500, 600 metres from the nearest house. So geography's got part to do with it. But I think, as I said, that 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 had to show you. Again, when they did the demonstration in Elgin, there was, like was, there was a big demonstration to start that pushed them out, but it was because, again, city centre location. Uh, we were, as I said, I don't mean it badly, it goes back to geography, transport links, everything else. If you don't really drive to get to Erskine on a Sunday, it's not exactly easy because it's either two buses that take forever uh, from Glasgow city centre or that one bus in Paisley that uh, goes now goes through pretty much... Um, Half of, the, half of the rest of Scotland um, and it takes ages to get anywhere so that, that does help as well it, it makes it kind of isolating, it's harder to get people in to get that support, we have managed it and we have continued to do it but that would have said would be the fundamental difference for me the, the, the bus from Paisley to Erskine any day uh, kind of goes goes from the centre of Paisley and then loops around the north end of Paisley uh, goes out to the airport then goes down the back road to in Shannon Industrial Estate. From then it turns back east away from Erskine uh, to go through the village of Inshinnan. And then it goes down to Erskine and it kind of whips its way around Erskine a bit before it gets to a bus stop anywhere near the hotel. So, yeah... There are definitely problems in getting to Erskine, especially on a Sunday. When talking earlier, it reminded me of there was a village down in the south of England that sent Patriotic Alternative packing, and their message at the time basically was only local racists are allowed in this protest. And you have to admire them for the concept that we don't want you busting idiots upsetting our local little races campaign. Uh, and in some senses, that's maybe what the difference, again, as well in Elgin was, that there is a town centre in that sense to get into, and and that's just for the people as well. I think you might find that the likes of Elgin people might live closer together than they do in Erskine. If you take Erskine as like seven or eight donuts sitting together, uh, all their own at one level, all their own little settlements with big car park near them, not in the middle of all of this. To be fair, kind of at the side of a lot of this, uh, where the shops are, the whole geography of the things totally different. I don't think they knew what they were getting into in the location. I think it was just the opportunity that the Locals who started all of this invited them in. And once you invite a fascist into your house, he'll never leave. Oh, I must admit, I do like the bus journey from Paisley to, 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 to play back. That's where it goes and it takes you to the airport. And I, I just imagine all these American tourists getting the train out to Paisley and then getting the bus there and having a through shortness. It must be quite an experience for them to see that. But well, the, the bus from Paisley to Clyde Bank takes you an hour. So Nathan, you you know, how long does it take you to get that kind of distance? Otherwise, you did it the other week. It doesn't take you anything near an hour to do that. So that's how convoluted the bus service is, and that's not in a Sunday. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And 
before we dive in and uh, start talking for another hour on the reliability of first bus and every every other kind of mode of transportation in Scotland, because we could, uh, I think you are you are 100% right, you know, Erskine is, is kind of that logistical nightmare, uh, you know, for, for organising uh, kind of the, the counter demos as well, you know, looking at it uh, in terms of combating fascism, fascism, it presents, you know, difficulties for, you know, direct action if you're looking at it from that lens. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of challenges where can overcome, I think, the, the determination from people to continuously mobilise uh, for it and finding all kinds of different ways to get there. Uh, obviously, recently we've had the, the kind of Unite bus uh, coming in as, as well, the, the wee van carrying folk from, from Glasgow who are, who are determined to appear, it, it, it makes a real difference. And, you know, I guess coming on to the, the last talking point here, uh, you know, it's a, I guess it's a simple question, yeah, it can be talked in, in so many different ways, but from what we've obviously discussed today, how do trade unions combat fascism? To finish the previous, going backwards here, which is strange, um, we've had we did have a woman who came down from the Faisalian Peace Camp every Sunday to join us. We've got people who have turned up from Dundee, from Edinburgh, uh, and more locally, if you want, Kilmarnock, who have regularly turned up to join with. I think that, that, that's great. Um, the other bit with, with regard to other communities in Scotland, I think we have to say is that because of our experience in Erskine, uh, we've had communications with other people and other trade union councils around Scotland. And there's also been kind of uh, the STUC pulling stuff together as well. That I'm not going to say that what we've done in Erskine has been a blueprint specifically but yes it's shown people what should happen we've pointed out some of the problems and things I'll, I'll not go into any of that just now but we have exchanged information with other groups so that they were more prepared for any similar activity happening in their neck of the woods and I'm quite sure that stopped it happening in some areas um, by people getting in first and arranging, um, you know, we were saying earlier about all the, the social activities that developed in Erskine, and we were being instrumental in helping other areas do that from day one. You know, getting involved with the people, getting all the local groups together, and. Uh, joining with the, the refugees and I'm sure that stopped the fascists getting in to a lot of other areas. We, we know there's about half a dozen towns in Scotland that they continually are attempting to move into but I think in a lot of areas where they may have gained some traction we've managed to push that off before it started by sharing the information that we've learned, you know, what works uh, in Erskine or worked in Erskine. I mean, I hate quoting New Labour, but I always come back to education, 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 and that probably is true. How do you combat fascism? You need to educate. You need to show that these people uh, don't have answers to the real questions that are being asked, that all they're going to do is 
point and playing at other people rather than accepting it. Um, and I mean, that's it. And especially now, and I don't mean it badly. Um, as I said, Pedro, I still would say, and I've said it earlier, I think they're kind of a damp squib now because they haven't yet raised their political party. They're mostly doing online stuff and things like that. And there is a bit of this kind of edgy meme culture that I've, I've come across um, in my time here, obviously, uh, online and things like that, where you get people saying quite horrifically racist stuff online because they're anonymous and they can get away with it. Now, whether half the, I do wonder at times whether half the people say that stuff, I actually believe it, or I'll just do it because they think it's funny and they get effect. But it still comes back to the same point. You know, we need to be educating ourselves, educating our members, making sure they're aware of what's going on, making sure they're politically active, making sure that when it comes to it, they're willing to stand up. And I agree with Robert that, you know, I'm not saying we are necessarily a blueprint, but what we the work we did with the STC at the start, the work we did with other groups and organisations, um, it seems that a lot of other places in Scotland where they've been trying to build has been blunted. Uh, Homeland is a worry, I must admit, for me. I, I, I worry about them more than anything else because, again, they are, you know, they're the break-off group from Patreon alternative makes you worry about that. But as I said, they seem to really be trying to try trying to push this veneer of respectability is, oh, no, 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 we're not bad people, we're environmentalists, we just want local people to be locally active and protected and to, to go back to what things were when things were good and not how bad they are now and not how this was. We want to change things. And it's that whole kind of message they're given as if they're, they're a respectable organisation and they're not really bad people. They're just, they're just concerned citizens. When, when you dig into the character, involved, you realise these are people who are the extreme far right, BNP, National Front, their organisations have been based on collapse, they've been outlawed on the weight of their own um, hatred and you really need to watch that they don't hoodwink people because that's kind of what worries me is, you know, they, they'll try and basically trick people into thinking that they are not necessarily bad guys, they've got legitimate concerns we need to be out there actually telling people, you no, know, this the educate this is what happened in Germany and you know from the you know nineteen thirties to nineteen forty five, the rise of obviously fascism there, what happened in Italy, Franco and Spain, that kind of stuff needs to be part of the consciousness. It needs to be educated so we don't have that happen again because it really is something that, you know, um concerns concerns me and concerns other people. Because obviously, you know, once they start getting to that stage, I mean Homeland's policies are going to be well, you know, we'll, it will only start by stopping the refugees and then we'll, you know, make sure it's more harder for immigration to get in, then blah, blah, blah. But every time they make a step, then comes that next step. So once they've stopped one group coming in, they'll target the next group. Once that next group's been targeted, it's the other group after that. And they keep going and they keep going and they keep going. And is it, is it Pastor Mueller's, um, Robert's uh, poem, is, is that what I'm thinking of there? The one about, you know, first he came for a... Uh, that first they came for the communists, and I wasn't a communist. If, if you want, I can lean back, and it's in the wall in front of me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he came for the communists, and I did not speak out, because I was not a communist. Then they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out, because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out, because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak out for me. That's the quote, if you want. So, no, yeah, no, I didn't remember it. It is up in the wall there. Uh, 
as a as a kind of I mean, a sad reminder to me if you want as to what is important in this. Uh, if you want to look into the history books, the fascists in Italy went from being half a dozen idiots in a room to running the country. And I don't think there was much more than still half a dozen idiots of them that were running the country. So we have to be vigilant and we have to be steadfast in our opposition to these groups wherever they turn up because they don't grow to be large bodies. They weasel their way into power. There's not many of them and that's our problem. We have to uh, make sure that we stand up against them. Because that was part of the problem with Nazi Germany was the fact that everyone thought they could, that they, they could put Hitler in his position as Chancellor and they could use him as he wasn't smart. But by putting him in that position, he went right there. I'm now in charge and he then just simply took over. And I mean, even, even today in this country, you have that extreme element of Reform UK and that extreme element of the Tory party who there are some particularly nasty characters saying uh, particularly nasty stuff. Uh, you know, Suella Braverman being probably one of the most nastiest. Whether she believes half the stuff she's saying, I, I don't honestly know. I think, again, it's about um, her using that for political gain and her using that to basically make herself look like, oh, well, I'm like a Steve Bannon kind of, I'll get myself power and I'll get a group of people to support me, even though there are the kind of people who want me deported from this country. But if I get them to support me and uh, that that kind of gets me into a position of power and a position of authority to do things. But it's very, very short-sighted at the end of the day. And I, I do wonder about a lot of these politicians now who are on the, that right fringe. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, some, some of them are saying pretty things that are pretty horrible and pretty racist. And maybe they are racist. Maybe they are horrible people. Some will be doing it just for power, just to get power's sake. But that's always the concern because once that's unleashed, it's very difficult to put it back in the box. It's very difficult to control it. But we, at this moment in time, have that ability through the trade unions, through, obviously, all of us different communities and organisations to just get out there, talk to people, educate them, and show them that basically that's not how things need to be. We've got a government who has, who lies in Parliament. They are not pulled up for lying in Parliament. We've got a government who lies to the people continually, tells the people something that anyone with half a brain cell alive knows that's a lie. And if you look at it, they have lied to the top of the establishment. They have lied to the Queen. Now, it doesn't matter what you think about that these institutions, but the fact that the current government has get, gets away continually gets away with lying to people left, right and centre. Uh, it sounds to me like the Goebbels book of propaganda, which is really worrying. A hundred percent. Some really good points there. You know, it goes back to, as you said, trade union solidarity. It's the utmost important thing. And as you said as well, Robert, the drawing the lessons learned from Erskine and passing that on will, you know, prepare other communities, other TUCs with a foundation of, you know, how to operate, how to get that initial step in and instigate that that fight uh, against uh, infiltrative fascist forces. And, you know, Scotland's got a, a deep history, uh, a good anti-fascist history as well from 
uh, fighting Franco's forces in Spain with the international brigades. Uh, even looking at that from the Union point of view, the blockade runners of the RMT, there's a, a wee memorial just on the, the Clyde side in the city centre uh, near La Passion area. Uh, kind of shows that trade union solidarity, uh, the fights against the, the black shirts in Scotland as well at the time, uh, Mosley trying to organise across Dundee, Aberdeen and Glasgow and continuously being confronted uh, again with the international brigades where people here domestically drumming up aid and support and medical supplies and food to be sent over to Spain. Uh, and, you know, it's that kind of history that is a real inspiration, I guess, for anti-fascists and the trade union movement as well, you know, really spanning across and showing that these in instances like we're seeing now with the demonstrations against asylum seekers and the trade unions involvement of you know uh, standing against fascists and their attempts to harass attack and intimidate asylum seekers you know this isn't just something sprung out of, of thin air there is a there is a history to this anti-fascism and it's a, a deep history at that but no, I thought it was absolutely brilliant, guys. So just to finish off, you know, just to see if you've got any kind of final talking points and uh, how can we kind of stay up to date with what's going on in Erskine and keep in touch on uh, or where can folk find you on social media? I just, again, want to apologise for having to use a new Labour quote. I really didn't like using it, but it was, I felt kind of apt in that one. So I just want to apologise for bringing that in. Um, obviously, um, you can find, obviously, Paisley TUC uh, through, obviously, get in touch with myself or Robert via email or uh, anything else uh, that's required. I mean, obviously, I do have a Facebook page and that, but it's mostly kind of private. Um, but obviously, we, we're, we're available. We're on WhatsApps and other things as well for the Erskine kind of community. And if people want to reach out to us for the STC as well, they, they can get in touch with us and get people out to us speak to us. Um, I mean, my kind of final taking points in this has always been that, you know, if you don't stand up, you're never going to change anything. Um, that, that's something I, I kind of believe that, and I thought it was you were quoting obviously the international brigades there, and it kind of takes you back because we were thinking later on, like near Passaran, when basically we refused to put the um, Rolls Royce engines back into planes that were getting used by uh, Pinochet, was it? Yeah, bombing obviously people that they really you know shows solidarity that Scotland's had to say, you know what, no, we're not going to allow you to use uh, weapons against civilians or to further your further aims and obviously hurting people. So that's something I think is quite important as well. Um, yeah, <clears throat> we, we, we do have a, an email address. Um, if the, the, There's also a link. Oh, it's a convoluted link on the STUC website because they couldn't get a direct link to work. But anyway, uh, that takes you to me rather than the, the Paisley TUC. But Paisley and District Trade Union Council, it, gmail.com I think occasionally you'll find stuff on the PCS website uh, PCS Scotland uh, PCS Adams Facebook page uh, they, they occasionally have stuff from us when I can get something together and put it out but quite often you just sometimes the links to send things from one to another don't seem to be very it uh, worked very well. Um, but yeah, you th you're talking to a couple of Luddites here. <laughs> yeah, no, not really Luddites. It's just that sometimes the machinery, or, or if you want, my old machinery lets me down sometimes. Um, but at the end of the day, the answer is from a trade union point of view for trade unionists to, to realise 
I think this is preempting the motion that's coming up to SDEC this year. But basically, uh, all the differences that unions have with the minute of uh, terms and conditions and who represents workers in any particular location all disappears into nothingness if the political establishment in the country turns to fascism because we won't even, well, we'd be worried about our survival as individuals, never mind trying to do any collective um, bargaining. So I think it transcends any uh, individual problems we have. Now, specifically, for what we've done in Erskine, uh, I would have to say that I'll, I'll not mention particular areas, but I'll just say PCS Unite, Unison and Clydebank Trade Union Council have been the main people that have actually uh, donated funds to us to, to allow uh, a lot of the, the more social stuff as opposed to just standing protesting and on. So we wouldn't have been able to do anything that we've done without the help of these unions. And people say, yes, I, I, I'm pessimistic. I, I, I kind of give a pessimistic view. Uh, and I've pulled folk up for saying, we won in Erskine. You say, well, if we won, why is there still a war going on? If we won, you would be in peace. Uh, you know, It wouldn't be going on. And yes, I accept that things would have been a lot worse had we been there. Um, yes, we've been successful, but we can't be complacent and we have to keep fighting every time we see something come along. And I, Nathan, I have to thank you because the YCL has done a lot. I mean, to be fair, a lot of it for a while was in the background with the leafleting, etc., within the town. Certainly been there doing that, and Clydebank Trade Union Council has not been getting the credit that's due to them for all the help that they've been doing over the year. I would agree with that in a second, that and say that the, the help that we got from obviously you guys as well has been helpful working in the background, not just turning up and protesting and shouting, but also the help in the background from the young communists like yourself, uh, obviously uh, from yeah, Clydebank Trade Union Council really do need a lot of uh, thanks, the support they gave us. I know they're just over the water from Erskine and from us, but they have been steadfast in that support and it has really been um, great to have them out there. Uh, although I did find it funny that apparently the, the, you know, one of the comments we made is because Tommy comes over and tells us the morning star that we're distributing you know, oh, horrible material. It's like it's a newspaper that's so clock going, guys. Only horrible material in the, the Morning Star is usually if it's uh, silly like I've lost and I have to read it. That's what I find horrible. Uh, but, but other than that, the material is A class as usual. But no, guys, thanks. Thanks very much for that. Uh, it's been, you know, really appreciate it. And uh, as, as it has been for a year, continue to, to stand by you guys uh, and the Asylum Seekers every Sunday until uh, a point where we obviously don't have to be here. But you know, thanks again for for coming on the podcast and taking the time out. It's it's really as appreciated. You know, a year, uh, a year on from this. You know, it's it's hard to think uh, that we've been doing it for a year. Uh, rain, sleet, snow, and uh, a tiny bit of sunshine. Uh, but it has been has been one hell of a year, uh, ever changing year. And you know, uh, I don't know what I'm gonna 
be doing with my, my Sundays once this is all over. Uh, but what I do know is that we'll continue that that broad level of solidarity and the, the relationships uh, that we've built from Ersk and the demonstrations of like yourself uh, among the, the Clyde Bank Trade Union uh, Council, uh, their relationships that don't plan on fading away anytime soon. Uh, and I think that's one really strong point to take from this. So I just want to thank you again for, for coming on today. Yeah, I, I think that, I think you're great there. The, the comradeship that's developed, you know, it was there before, but what's developed, I mean, Nathan, you would never have talked to me any place otherwise unless we were forced to, it's how these things work. You know, we would say, oh, that's so-and-so from, uh, they're, they're a bit weird about what they come out and ask for or do or whatever. Um, but it's amazing that the the friendships that you've we've all made uh, amongst people that we would probably never have seen, we'd never have met uh, in, in the sense of being able to talk to people we could keep going down to Erskine, but just go to the pub or something. I mean, it's, it's, there's nothing to stop us doing that. Uh, well, yeah, and, we bring him for a coffee. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I mean, Gillian uh, and Ethan have been coming along since about Easter. And strangely, I knew Gillian like 20 years ago. We worked together. And suddenly you're standing together again at a demonstration week on week out, um, and you would—it was alluded to earlier. I mean, I don't know if it's a highlight or a low point. We had what three, four occasions where the racist just tried to outdo us. They were there till eight o'clock at night, and there was half a dozen of us most of these weeks who held the line and just stood there in the dark and watched them. The police weren't very happy um, and the racist the fascists eventually decided that there was such a thing as lighting to show them the way to put down their gazebo at 8 o'clock at night in the dark. I don't know how they didn't think of it before. Anyway just thank you and we'll see you all again soon. Yeah, thank you Nathan. Thanks again, comrades, for tuning in to another episode of Spectre. As always, be sure to leave us a like and review on whatever social media and listening platform you're tuning in on. Be sure to also share us with your friends, comrades and co-workers. The fight against fascism is an uphill battle and it starts in local communities such as Erskine and Elgin. These are not easily won battles. As shown, these battles can last for a year or even more. Trade Union Solidarity stands as the core foundation of securing victory in whatever shape or form that may take. Building strong connections with local trade union councils is shown to be the most effective principle in Erskine and indeed across Scotland. Even when the Erskine Hotel eventually closes, as the contract with mayors runs out, it won't be the end for activity in Erskine. The trade union movement will be bolstered and force the campaign further within Erskine combating fascists as they attempt to find a new target, a new scapegoat and a new approach to capturing the fear and isolation of locals in this community. But we will stand fast. Communists and trade unionists will be ready to fight fascism in whatever form it takes, whether that's patriotic alternative, homeland, Highland Division, Britain First or any other inbred fascist organisation that even so dares march in our streets. We will stand ready 
to demonstrate and physically confront fascists wherever they choose to congregate. From Erskine to Elgin, we will clear the fascists out. Oh, 